0: Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
1: Welcome to the Screaming Box Technology and Business Rundown Podcast. I, Dave Erickson, and Botan Sadesh are your hosts for this month's exploration of technology and business. This month is our 10th anniversary of founding our digital development company, Screaming Box. This podcast is usually something separate. I mean, we're not doing it with the expectation it's going to generate a lot of business for us, uh, but it's because we really enjoy furthering the discussion on technology and business which are subjects we are very passionate about, and making a contribution to the global knowledge base on the subjects that we cover. Um, For this podcast, we wanted to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, not so much with a focus on talking about our company, uh, but more on a focus about the state of technology in the development industry and how we think business is going to evolve over the next 10 years. To do this, Botan and I are joined by some of our fellow Screenbox team members who can add to the conversation from their perspective and their expertise. Balaj Bedagne, also known as Bedag, is one of the original co-founders of Screenbox and is a double E electronic engineer specializing in software, firmware and hardware. David Levy is one of our own partners and owners of Screenbox and he's a very experienced full stack developer and an advanced technologist. And Marian Farkas uh, is a seasoned HR expert who handles our recruiting and developer relationships at Screenbox. And Annie Pesnek is an experienced project manager and is one of the best PMs here at Screenbox. So to start off, uh, is there anyone who has something they wanna kind of ask a question about?
2: Yeah, let's start with the fact that how did Box start?
1: Well, it started when uh, four of us kind of got together and we were looking to do d- development I had found some needs uh, in it and we decided, okay, we we knew developers throughout the world. So let's uh, see what we can do to improve the way development is done. We all had experiences with working with development companies and developers and we kind of wanted something a little bit better. And so that's how we started Screenbox.
0: Dave, when I'm talking to candidates, I often get the question, how we got the company name because it's a rather unique one. Can you share something about this?
1: When we started, I kind of was the one everyone volunteered to do the marketing, and my my philosophy on that was we wanted something that stood out. And there were a whole bunch of development companies, you know, with names like ExpertSoft and, and GreatSoft and FastSoft, and they were all kind of these boring corporate development names. And I wanted something that stood out. I also needed something that was a good you know, website or URL, and I was in the gaming industry for, I don't know, 15 years, and early on in that, uh, we did a business proposal to build gaming computers, uh, and I reserved the website or the URL screening box. And after that business plan didn't go through and the, it, it didn't work out. We still did gaming, but we didn't do that, that store of selling gaming computers. So I had this URL left and we went through a bunch of names. And I'm like, you know, this is really a name that stands out and we already have the URL. So coincidence and everything kind of came together and that's how we did it. And I've had several clients throughout the years who have said that one of the reasons they really looked at us was from our name they just thought our name was interesting and it was something that they wanted to be involved in so it really does kind of stand out and you know obviously it makes for a great podcast name as well uh so it all kind of came together
0: i think it was a good choice
1: <laughs> i do too
0: so Bereg, your area within the company is quite specific as you are dealing with uh, embedded technologies. Uh, why do you think that it makes sense to have embedded skills in a company which uh, mostly does web and mobile development projects?
3: Yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense. So the reality is that you cannot solve every problem with, with apps or websites or databases. So. Sometimes you need additional devices. Uh, sometimes you need sensors, variables, IOT devices uh, to collect your data, so you still need uh, the web or mobile app to show the data, but the infrastructure is, is more than that, and, and we already had some projects where we needed to prepare our software to communicate with embedded devices. More than that, uh, we had a few embedded projects as well. And, and I like to have a variety in Screenbox where we can mix those skills together. And, and there are many development companies out there. And, and one of uh, our way to differentiate could be the embedded uh, skills. So I, I hope we can close more deals with mixed technology.
1: Yeah, I'm going to add a little bit to that. Uh, my background uh, is contract electronics manufacturing. Uh, and even in the gaming industry, I was licensing our gaming brand to large manufacturers in Asia. So between Bedeg and I, we actually have a lot of hardware experience. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we've gotten some good hardware projects and we'll see what happens in the future.
4: That's that's uh, some interesting points you bring up, guys. Uh, but something pops into my mind like um, you know we recently did an episode on uh, the global supply shortage of semiconductors so it makes me wonder like uh, how does it make sense to start embedded projects while we are in a global supply
3: shortage oh yeah (laughs) the short answer is uh, to prepare for the end of the global shortage so just imagine what would happen without preparation so if you would start your development at the same time when the global supply chain finally starts working you would need a significant time to produce anything so your competitors would pass on you so i know it is hard to pick a different processor or a different power supply chip every time you produce some prototypes uh, it makes uh, mass production almost impossible but if you know that already you can plan ahead you can make the embedded firmware flexible enough. You can test uh, the data exchange between your your hardware and backend, and you can validate your project. Uh, so, in general, it is still possible to develop good prototypes during the global shortage.
4: <laughs> so, to expand upon that a bit, um, obviously, we want to prepare for the end of the shortage. That's that's a, that's a great thing to do. Uh, what I'm wondering about is. Uh, did the shortage affect uh, the lithographies that uh, you regularly use in projects? So we know that I think there is a push on something something nanometer, but uh, we have plans for uh, at least eight previous generations. So uh, is there any effect of maybe using older nodes more often these days or anything like that?
3: Yeah, Fortunately, it does not have a, a huge impact on us. So in, in embedded technology, we We use old, we use old technologies, so uh, we are not uh, w- not in the industry which needs uh, uh, the highest transistor density, so it's it's not a problem at all
1: yeah, a lot of the surrounding circuits you may have the latest and greatest processor, uh which is hard to get because it's new or whatever, but all the surrounding circuits are probably going to use really older technology. Not so much because uh, of the technology, but from the cost. Uh, the older technology is just much more cost-effective and a lot of the surrounding circuits don't need that latest technology. Uh, they can use an older technology to support the newer technology.
3: Yeah, I still have lots of friends who are still using 8-bit uh, processors for that project. And it works really well in Embedded.
2: And now that we learn about using the old technologies in the industry, so to say, let's go back to the future. What do you think Like your dream project would be? And would you still use the old technologies for that?
3: Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes old technology is the best choice. Uh, in general, my dream project would be a mixed embedded mobile and web project. And, and the beauty uh, of this type of project is that there is no need to involve separate development partners uh, for the different technologies. No need to have endless calls uh, between, between partners, uh, defining the interface between the hardware company and the backend company. Um, so we, we could solve all the problems in-house and, and, and we could co-design the hardware to fit uh, the user interface perfectly. And, and it would be so interesting uh, to do that with a fully remote team. Uh, so it isn't only an IT challenge, but an HR challenge as well. Uh, but I guess Marianne has more thoughts on this. So, so Marianne, what are the challenges uh, around having a fully remote team? Well,
0: you know, just to point out uh, first, I think what type of work? have their own challenges, so it's natural that remote work also has its own challenges. I will only highlight a couple of those and you can tell me how much it resonates with you or not, or if you would pick the same one. But I guess one of the uh, the most important challenges is is in the the area of uh, effective collaboration and, and communication. So in case of remote companies, you can really make use of the superpowers of async communication. And of course you are packed with a lot of technology, a lot of platforms. Uh, uh, in most of the cases you have the knowledge about these, but you know the challenge lies in making the right decision, which channels to use when you communicate with your co- co-workers and what, what is the most effective. So just to recall my own memories or you know, rely my own experience Uh, when uh, I joined Screaming Box. It was my very first time being with a remote, fully remote company. And before that, I was fully office based. And I remember that um, uh, we started working together with David on a lot of different topics, and the situation was like that. we were really busy, we had, we had a lot of topics in common to work on, and in most of the cases we were even in different time zones. So that was, that was the situation which we had to solve, and uh, you know, David started to socialize me, re-socialize me with new platforms and new channels of communication, and I think I just really, um, get accustomed to it and i think this is one of the uh, most of the challenges to just to socialize your team members if they were not uh, or to improve um, you know the uh, the choices of the effective communication ways i think this is this is uh, one of the challenges i don't know how it resonates with you um another thing i would think about uh, is probably um you know the the a little bit of loneliness, which can sometimes happen at remote uh, companies. So you have to be much more mindful, uh, how you socialize with your coworkers, how you communicate with them, uh, because you know, the ad hoc element is, is, missing. It's not like you just drop in someone's office and you just pull someone aside to discuss your current topics, uh, but you really have to plan ahead a little bit. David is nodding, so maybe you you are with me in this topic, but definitely, you know, the typical remote workers who we work with, uh, they just enjoy, uh, enjoy the flexibility, the possibility for focused work, and normally they don't suffer uh, from loneliness, but some other people uh, have a higher need uh, for socializing. And I think we really have to have a special attention for those people as well.
5: Yeah, I can, (laughs) I can relate. As you said, Uh, what uh, what do you deem important when dealing with uh, the remote devs of us or any team members? So, what uh, do you do in HR to help remote uh, devs and team members in general?
0: We do a couple of things to help and foster the work of uh, remote teams so i really think that uh, you have to have the foundations right so you know you won't have uh, uh, satisfied and contented co-workers developers if you are not having the high hygiene factors set right so basically uh, first of all we try to do uh, we try to build up the processes the systems in a way that developers can always get uh, the clear and direct information about the, you know, basic, uh, inquiries, which they normally have, which are like, you know, info about the running project, info about next or upcoming projects, accounting or payment related type of questions. So I think this is one of the most important things to get the basics, right? And then you can build everything else on top. We pay pay special attention for uh, uh, trying to document ourselves and trying to provide context. It's especially important when we are onboarding our new colleagues. Uh, And I think we can really be efficient with using some knowledge sharing platforms uh, just to try to maintain a little bit of human touch. Uh, We also include videos you know, greetings, tutorials, which are just more recorded videos and and try to create uh, the feeling of inclusion for newcomers from the first moment.
2: And we can always turn to you with any questions.
0: Yes, actually, I think it's this is this is very important. So uh, my philosophy is that uh, even if you are a fully remote HR person, that it's absolutely important to be available, to be responsive and, uh, you know, just, 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 as I said, have the human touch, because my experience is that uh, it always pays off. So you always, you know, receive the same attitude and behavior in return.
3: Yeah. So, uh, David, I'm just curious, what were you doing 10 years ago?
5: <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I was graduating from high school. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I, I was graduating from high school like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, I was working with small business clients on a WordPress projects. So, I started uh, some little website and WordPress development around the age of 14 or something. Uh, And when I was at the end of high school, I already had some uh, pocket money out of these small projects. And um, it is interesting to see how the uh, development world evolved since then. It feels like it was uh, (laughs) a decade ago.
0: David, I know that you always have your eyes set on the technology trends and you know what is the hottest technology on the market. So looking back, what do you think? What is the technology that had, had, has had the biggest impact on development in the past 10 years, let's say?
5: Oh, we're going to stick to the 10 years. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> on, the, on the website side, probably moving to React.js and Angular first. That was the biggest step from the uh, classic JavaScript world. Mm, we, it's a 10 to 5-ish years ago we still used uh, mm, JS and these uh, pre-SPA like uh, frameworks for JavaScript development. Then uh, React and and, and Angular came. And those were pretty huge changes compared to how you wrote uh, web applications in general. Uh, so much more JavaScript got involved in the creation of uh, just a, a simple website that uh, nowadays, even for a static website, uh, you almost like almost necessary to use JavaScript at the point to some kind of JavaScript framework. Uh, ES6, ECMAScript 6, that was uh, another huge change. It was in 2015. It was a huge, that was kind of how JavaScript matured. Before 2015, uh, it was the same uh, hard to use language. The only thing that made it easier was jQuery. Uh, now jQuery looks like, uh, an obsolete thing from 30 something years ago, but in general, uh, it was the 2000s and, and early 2010s. But, uh, again, in 2015, uh, ECMAScript 6 came, ECMAScript 6 changed everything in the JavaScript world. So JavaScript, uh, became a fully mature usable language, uh, in itself, uh, with, uh, the ES6 changes, then Angular, React, that kind of changed the whole uh, front-end and in general web development work. And so many great companies and uh, open source projects started building on that. Like for example, Next.js. That's my that's my current favorite, and uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, of other developers favorite because they just uh, make. Uh, website development as easy and as accessible as it can be uh, at this this point developing websites. uh, You can develop much more complex websites compared to 5, 10, 15 or whatever years ago. Uh, In one hand, so much easier. I'm so excited because uh, to set up a new complex dynamic website with uh, with dynamic stuff like user authentication, different user roles, uh, dynamic data connecting to different uh, APIs. It is, at, at this point, you can set up a whole uh, SaaS company in, in, in over a weekend or something. Mm, it was never be possible earlier. And we never thought that it's gonna be possible. Uh, but with so many great third party APIs, with so many great uh, open source projects, to set up a website that accepts new users, uh, accepts payments, uh, subscription payments, and you get something in return from the website, it is it is less than a couple of days of work. And uh, on the web, I think this is much more uh, exciting and interesting compared to the generic idea of uh, Web3 and blockchain. Web3 and blockchain is going to be exciting. Both of them are going to be exciting in uh, the next couple of years probably. But at this point I feel like Web3 is trying to solve a problem that didn't exist right now. Uh, it, it is, it is kind of moving backwards. We have a solution, but for what? We don't know it yet. Uh, and they try to uh, use Web3 and blockchain for everything. It's going to be the uh, 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 Uber of, uh, of, of Web3 blockchain uh, AI enter another random buzzword and you get anything that's new. Uh, which is going to be cool eventually. Uh, we're going to f- find problems to solve with it. But currently it is much more important that uh, with the third-party solutions, no-code tools, low-code tools, uh, Next.js, and similar companies, everyone has the option now to build MVPs, to validate ideas, to even build small sets that they can scale uh, for hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue per year in uh, in days or just a couple of weeks. That is something really exciting.
1: And what about mobile? What do you see is interesting for mobile?
5: Oh, it's, <laughs> it's a completely different uh, uh, topic. I feel like when I started developing for mobile, that was the years when we had to use Eclipse for, uh, for Android development, I think. It was like 20, until 2014 or so. At that point, I did not develop to iOS. It started a little bit later, but still not with Swift, but Objective C. Uh, and then, because I was using React, it made sense to try out React Native. Then uh, I, I got up on the hype train and started using React Native in 2017. And it felt like it is going to be the way how to develop, how, how are we going to write mobile apps in the near future? It it, it looked like that cross-platform is the way to go. Uh, there were some solutions before React Native. It was uh, PhoneGap and, and Cordova, uh, Ionic. Maybe PhoneGap and Cordova are the same. I, I don't even remember right now. But those solutions were uh, hybrid mobile apps when you only get a native app and a web view that uh, only showed you a website. Uh, so it was a completely different thing. Then React Native <clears throat> and Xamarin uh, completely changed the game. Uh, and React Native started to dominate the, the cross-platform uh, scene. Then Flutter came in a couple of years later and started hammering React Native in every single place where React Native had issues. Flutter was more stable, it was easier to develop. Flutter somehow felt uh, more mature in less time than than React Native. Flutter felt more nature in like, what, two years compared to the five years of React Native. Uh, But I do feel like uh, it is like, we are five to six years in now to different cross cross platform native solutions. More than five to six years, but I do feel like it is still the wild west of uh, of of cross platform stuff. Uh, I'm not sure about the about the future we're moving to. React Native goes on uh, like a, a complete, almost complete rewrite now. The full architecture and and uh, underlying stuff uh flutter it feels like it is uh, a lot more stable and uh, a lot more usable for developers currently compared to react native and then the native platforms came out with their own uh, cross-platform like uh, development languages so for android there's kotlin uh that uh could be able to do uh, cross-platform for iOS, there's Swift, uh, it is an open source uh, language that is kinda similar to either Kotlin or or, or TypeScript. Mm. And there's Swift UI for iOS now. Uh, You can almost drag and drop uh, an iOS, a basic iOS app at this point. Uh, I do feel like for, for mobile apps, we either gonna Go for a real long way to find the uh, most efficient solution to work with, uh, or uh, <laughs> the mobile dev- devices are going to be out of, out, of, out of the trend before we, we find a way to write mobile code efficiently.
1: So David, what do you see as kind of the future development trends so 10 years from now, what do you think uh, development will look like, or maybe five years? Uh, what do you think, that, is it going to be much different from where we're at now, or what do you think it's going to be at?
5: Earlier, I always talked and people always have uh, said that AI is going to take over uh, all of our jobs, especially uh, jobs from developers uh, who make the easier uh, part of the of the development so for those who only do front ends or only do like pretty uh common uh business logics and pretty common applications and nothing really uh serious and specific and well uh it is it is under going right now uh not like we imagined. So it is not like you, at this point, it is not like you write a message to um, some AI chatbot that I need a website with green buttons and uh, I want it to look great. I want it to pop uh, and I want it to sell millions of dollars in a day. Uh, but uh, with low code and no code tools, we're pretty close to it. At this point, uh, using bubble or similar no code tools it is like hmm, using sketch I think sketch uh, is the is the app uh, where you can uh, help uh, beginner developers to learn to code by uh, putting together like puzzle like uh, code pieces one after another so building an app uh, with no code tools is like that at this point uh, getting different images or uh, or copy so if you want new images to your website if you want uh, a landing page copy if you want blog articles or videos you can ask different ai's Uh, that is uh something we should really take seriously we should really consider uh either using or developing them because uh, AI generated uh, content and almost AI made uh, easier, less complex uh, business applications are a real thing now. And I think in five years, uh, we'll, we'll be able to build even more complex uh, stuff with uh, local tools and uh, the ai generated stuff uh, again i feel like uh traditional site builders or or uh, traditional uh website or front-end devs uh are uh, more in a trouble at this point uh, <laughs> but in five years it might be a bigger trouble for uh for more developers in more uh, uh places but it's it's so much better to clients so like uh if if uh if we just decide to consult with a client and help them uh to use these tools to their advantage uh at this point there's no need to spend uh uh, half a million dollar to build uh something that is not as unique, but that is just similar to other apps. There's no reason for that. Why would they spend half a million dollars on that when they can spend like what 50 to a hundred K, uh, and spend the rest of marketing.
1: I agree with you, David. Uh, I, think that that's, uh, where it's going to go in five years and as a development agency, Uh, We obviously will have lots of developers who are there to help clients figure out what parts of the project that they can have input on and use the the low-code tools for that and then pass on whatever they've done to us so that we can do the the stuff that you can't do through those tools. And and I think that's going to make for a much better kind of uh, uh, client-developer relationship in the end.
3: Uh, I have a little bit different opinion on AI. So, okay. uh, you know, for example, 40 years ago, the biggest challenge was how to write a chess application, which can beat a, a human world champion. And, and it is easier, it is a much easier problem. When it comes to replacing a developer with AI, it is more like a human-like uh, software. and And it is always, we always need 15 more years. And it was the same in the 1960s, and it is the same today. So, of course, we can we can do some easy easy uh, challenge. We can solve easy challenges with AI, but human-like thinking, it's it's a bit more uh, hard, I think.
5: Right, right. I think uh, the role of AI here is not to uh replace a developer and work like a traditional developer the role of ai here i think is rather uh helping out a real developer so instead of uh of me having to write the same code for authentication as i wrote in the past 10 years in every single year with little to no modifications the role of ai is uh that I can completely outsource these routine tasks and instead of spending another 40 hours on something I built for 40 hours a year ago, now I can just outsource it to an AI that already has a solution for that. So it's not like a real uh, uh, pair programming partner.
3: Yeah, I would like to have an AI which uh, would be able to refresh my browser to the new version. Resolve all conflicts. So I, I don't want AI to write the code instead of me, but do the shitty part. <laughs>
5: yeah.
4: Well, that's how you get an AI uprising. <laughs> if you only give yeah. the worst jobs to AI.
1: <laughs> Long live Skynet. <laughs> <laughs>
5: So what about uh, you both on what do you think, uh, what are kind of development technologies that you find interesting right now?
4: Oh Well, that's an excellent segue from the topic that you just touched on earlier, David. And uh, it is AI, but not in the ways that uh, you or uh, Barack think, really. Um, I do use an IDE, which is... Uh, A bit more expensive, but much heavier on the AI assistance. And I find it incredibly helpful that I practically never write uh, variable names anymore, because it just knows like what what I would name my (laughs) variables. It just just gives a name. It's fine. Every time. Uh, Now, it also drops in code snippets, like, uh, I don't know, for each is vials, for uh, stuff whenever it's needed, it also gives me recommendations that uh, like, uh, hey, maybe you don't want uh, to use uh, these functions, maybe you want to use these because these are uh, better, newer, uh, stuff like that. And what I'm really excited about is uh, when we get to a point where it's not just uh, the same static AI for everyone, but when it is a, a very shallow but a very uh, detailed copy of your own coding style so everyone has their own style um, I'm sure David you have yours but you have your own I have mine and uh, it's it's natural that uh, we want an assistant that uh, can help us out to remind us of the best practices that uh, we used So. For example, if I could tag a uh, solution, like this is the definitive way to process many, many uh, entities, right? So whenever I do uh, a piece of code that uh, goes through a list of entities, then it just uh, pops up like a recommendation, like, hey, you used this before and marked it as your preferred solution. Would you like to apply it here? doesn't even need to convert it. Just uh, like recommend that like, hey, I know you want to use this, but maybe you forgot.
5: Yeah, I do use something similar. I do use uh, GitHub's Copilot Uh, sometimes, uh, not always. The main difference what I've heard is that GitHub Copilot doesn't use uh, my code specially to give me recommendations, but rather everyone's uh, publicly available code from GitHub and over the time, it learns uh, what are those code snippets, uh, which is uh, great to recommend because most people started to accept that and use that. Uh, I love that because it kind of sometimes it just challenges my thoughts. I have an idea how to solve a problem, and GitHub Copilot just jumps in with a completely different one. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes I'm the smarter one. <laughs> but it's it's not, it's not going to be for so long. <laughs> oh.
1: Well, maybe uh we can uh talk to Jeff Bezos and he can do uh Alexa for developers. And if you're just coding, <laughs> you just ask Alexa a question and it'll give you the code that you should use.
5: <laughs> yeah. So Annie, uh we I feel like we do work really uh, great together and I feel like uh your ideas from project management uh, made the company in itself better, uh, not just the efficiency, but like uh, client handling and, and, uh, and every single place that touches project management, how you do this, what do you think that, uh, what are the most important parts of uh, managing projects?
2: Okay, so you already mentioned the client part and the development part. So I would say like for me, the most important one is communication and people management in general. And when we talk about people management uh, within the scope of project management, I think we're always talking about like the developers and your own own team, so to say, and the client's team. And you have to like communicate differently with them. So with your own team, like Botond already mentioned, like as a development style, everyone has their own style. Everyone has their own Especially in remote working and freelancing, our own timelines, her own like preferred way to work on things, and you have to like really know your people or the people on the project. And you have to like, as a project manager, of course, you have to like stay on the top of everything, have an overview, know what comes after what, where are the dependencies, and of course, uh, what I experienced in the past that sometimes like, okay, I'm the developer, I'm developing the code, and I. I'm developing my part, you're developing your part and it's not meeting and communication wise. As of project management and like seeing the whole picture, the bigger picture, you have to like always know where to I like come to what and where. And for people uh, to like talk with people, to know with people, have to get updates from them. For example, some of my developers like to like send me an update or send me on the slack a note. Another one prefers, okay, I will call you tell you in two minutes note it down, please. And then I'm done and go back to coding. So you have to know the communication with the developers to like stay on the top of the project. And then comes the client management part where you kind of have to like say everything, of course, to the client, do the reports for them or do the status for them or just like have a daily call with them. And especially for bad news, you have to like use a different kind of communication. So you can't can't just say to them, okay, this is not going, the whole staging environment is wrong. You have to like wisely choose your words to, to <laughs> you specialize it. Yeah, we have a kind of a bit of obstacle with the staging environment, but we're already working on that and you will get, so you have to like always use a positive aspect by finishing, finishing off to them. So like the communication and the people management and knowing what everyone like requires personally uh, is really important uh, in it. Of course, like the basic project management like hard skills, so to say, like know the methodologies, know the know your projects, know what would like benefit the best from it. So, for example, for a lot of projects, really complex, it's hard to use agile, which is like really trending now. Still, Scrum and Scrum and Kanban, but like for a really complex project where, for example, there's a lot of backend side or like a whole backend rewrite in it, you can't use agile because there are, or just simply agile because there are so many dependencies. That you can just like put a little part in it, so so you have to like know how to to execute, have to like mix the methodologies, for example, or have to have to monitor the progress. That we're okay, we're doing waterfall in the backend, but the frontend wise, we can do fully Scrum. There are like the little user stories which you can use. Here are the tasks, and we can like deliver constantly. Whereas in the backend side, it's possible that the client will not see like, so to say the next step for a few weeks, because it's, it's a whole back right rewrite and, and they just don't see the violin in front-end and UI, they can see the little thing, for example, okay, this, I don't know, button is red. And you have to like, learn to have to communicate these things, have to like mix those things together. So they always get something. So they always feel like, okay, it's going forward. The client is happy and the team as the client is happy, the team has, like, so to say, the space and the safe environment to to improvise, to innovate, to use their own style and own methods as the developers. So I would say, yeah, maybe these these two things are the most important ones.
3: So, Annie, what technologies are important for project management?
2: So, for project management, the technologies are mainly on on the hard part. So, by planning, by executing a project, by organizing it. And what tool I, I use the more often or like I think it's the most important to kind of use either Gantt charts or like any kind of roadmaps to like follow the project and visualize them because it's easy to like show the clients and they just kind of have a deadline, kind of have like the little things. Okay, what comes after what? Uh, so I would say like the Gantt chart is, is the generally the top tool to use in either which of ones. Um, for example, like Trello or like any common board, we could use like ClickUp, we could use HEAT, we could use one thing where we can like, show visually the progress, where we are, what's, what's in to do, what's in progress. Okay, where are we blocked? For example, it's really important to say, uh, to like see where the project is blocked, where we like having a background currently. Uh, I would say for spreadsheet set like features, I really like using HEAT. Uh, that's one of my favorite ones and there are really like good tools, for example, like Airtable or Rike, for like, um, a safe or scam environment to see. And of, as of communication tools, of course, like Slack, Google Meets, Zoom, any kind of communication tools.
1: So Annie, um, how do you think that, uh, project management will change in the future? Like what do you, what do you think is kind of the future vision of how project management will work, say five years, 10 years from now?
2: Okay. So David already mentioned the parts where AI comes in SM development. And I would say in project management, there's going to be like kind of the same shift uh, happening, uh, like the machine learning drive-on automation technologies will like improve a lot and, and it will like, over the thousands of tools we already have to follow up on the project. And I think a lot of like basic management stuff, so to say, will be automated because like a robot can do that. Uh, for example, which I'm thinking uh, of right now is like Google Meet, when you record the meeting on Google Meet, it's already like do the transcription if you turn it off. So it can automatically, uh, right now only in English, but it automatically puts the transcriptions for the recording. And I'm thinking like, it's just the baby steps away for basically writing a meeting note for you right after the project to like have the code words, let's say, and and just like put the meeting notes in it. And I'm thinking a lot of management tests will be done by this, for example, like using your reminders, using meeting notes, using any project man- management tools to follow up thing. I think it will be like even more automated than it is now.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the most important part I, I see of project management is that communication with the project owner uh, and the, the team. And I, I don't know how much automation will help in that. I think the automation will help project managers have the information they need. But the project managers are always going to have to uh, figure out how to communicate things to uh, the product owner, uh, so they understand it, know what's important, and, and what they need to focus on. I think AI will have a hard time doing that, but I'm sure it will come. Up I
2: with hope so. <laughs>
1: goals. Yeah.
3: All right. I would really love to see an AI which would flag a situation uh, the exact day when the project can go south. And, and it would be very easy to uh, train the AI for that because more than half of the IT projects are not finishing really well.
2: <laughs> yeah. Or just like showing the alternatives. If if I don't know something is in delay, then this will happen with the other part of it. I think AI can do that. Hopefully, it can do the communication part. <laughs> how uh,
4: how would you describe your uh, uh, a day of project management?
2: Oh, oh, that's an interesting question. Well, it always depends. Uh, But I would say in the morning you always like have to, to, as we're working on different time zones, it's often like I wake up in Hungary and for example, I have like five uh, emails already from Australia from one of our clients. And so each day, which is fixed for me, uh, is to like go over them, to like go over what happened the time in the other time zone where I was sleeping peacefully. <laughs> and, and it's like just happened. So, so the first time for me is always like that. Then get a the status from the developers. Sometimes when we have daily stand ups, that's always in the morning. So that's two or three times a week, depending on which projects we're working on currently. So that that's kind of fixed, like after a stand up, I always have to like write write the meeting notes to like flag the questions to like get back on the client. Okay. We need this from you get on the developers. Okay. You promised this to the client yesterday. Are we still on track? Is this still happening? Did something happen within the last hours that will just like change the things that that I have to communicate for the client? Um, So like then comes the administrative part of it. And like, like as I said, with the time zones, like everyone's working on their own, own time zone, on method, on on everything. So it's it's always like, okay, I finished my task, and then someone pings me with something, uh, which is like another another project. Uh, but I would say like the normal. Hungarian, uh, 9 to 5 is mostly filled with with the administrative tasks to follow up the things, to create the user stories, to like maybe watch some recordings, to like go over the user stories, go over the requirements, uh, go over the changes, uh, talk with the developers to see if we're still on track or not on track. And at the end of my day, uh, day, there comes the American time zone and there are the meetings again.
4: (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds Go like in, a lot of... One day of
2: communication,
4: basically. That's <laughs> mm. nice. It's, that's really nice for people who, who enjoy just um, <laughs> having meetings all day. <laughs> well, uh, Dave, if you won't mind, may I ask, how how do you think the development industry is going to change in the future? And uh, I'm going to throw you a curveball here, not, not in like the next 10 years, but in like 100 years.
2: Oh. Well,
1: I, if okay, in a hundred years, um, you know, you'll you'll put on a headset and it'll read your brainwaves, uh, and it'll see kind of the product vision that you have uh, in your head, and then it'll feed all that to an AI who will interrogate you and ask you a bunch of questions, and then it'll go off and in. in write the product and make it work and test it and then there'll be a finished product and you can go through and verify that it was built the way you wanted to. So Hmm, if I had to say what will happen in a hundred years, that's what I'm thinking, right? (laughs) You know, because if you think about it, uh, you know, a hundred and twenty years ago, uh, we didn't fly and we didn't drive cars. Uh, And that was uh, 120 years. So 100 years from now, why not, right?
4: And uh,
1: as far as in more of the our lifetimes and in in the near future, um, I think development's going to change because I think the emphasis of development will no longer be focused so much on the tech stack and the code. I think it's really going to be focused on how does the technology solve business problems. Like, for us, our best clients are the clients where they come to us and say, well, I think I need to update my website. And after we have a conversation with them, it becomes clear they have a bunch of business challenges. And what they're really looking for is solutions to these business challenges that come from technology, whether it's automating manual processes, automating their workflows, making it so their workflows integrate into their website or their e-commerce or their backend, things that, that make uh, solutions for businesses. I think that's really the focus. And that's kind of what we've focused on, right? Uh, and yes, we, we have to focus on the tech stack and the code, And sometimes we get clients who come to us and say, hey, I want to build this tech stack. We're already building it. We just need developers. We need you guys to to handle this tech stack. But our best clients are ones who come to us and say, look, I know I need something. I don't quite know what I need, but I need a solution. These are the problems that I'm having. And then we figure out how to use technology to solve those problems. And I think that the focus in the next five to 10 years that's going to become more of the focus. Not so much how do I make my website pretty, but how do I solve this business challenge? How do I get more business? How do I handle the business that I already have? How do I you know, make it more cost-effective? How do I become more profitable? The, those are really the where the focus of development is going to kind of shift to. I'm already seeing that in, in the conversations I have with potential clients, that they're really looking for solutions to business problems and development just happens to offer those solutions, right? But part of those solutions are project management like Annie and part of those solutions are quality and UX and, and, you know, who are the right people or a business analyst or uh, doing a lot of exploration about what the market needs or marketing solutions, right? So I I think the future of development in, in 10 years is that Uh, the clients are going to go through a business process versus a development process. Well, I want to thank everybody who's been on the the podcast. And uh, again, happy 10th anniversary, and may we have another 10. And to our listeners, uh, next month, we'll have another interesting podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for taking this journey with us. Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business in the first week of every month. Please help us by subscribing, liking, and following us on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects or topics you would like us to discuss in our next podcast by leaving a message for us in the comment sections or sending us a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy.